So speaking about the uh, Shabbat and uh, sharing maybe some thoughts, maybe also some of my personal experiences, uh, and I would love you to think about yourselves and about your, your life journeys, about your experiences and how can you apply it to your lives. And um, thinking about today's meeting, I asked myself, let's talk about why do we cry? And why do we cry? Why do we cry to Shabbat? Why should we cry on the Shabbat? Why should we cry into Shabbat? And the reason I ask is because usually we live in comfortable times, comfortable places, especially, you know, my current location is New York. I visit more often Israel, but you know, we in New York feel, except for some tragic occasions, we feel very comfortable. Uh, many people in Israel also feel pretty comfortable. And then the Shabbat comes, the tragedy of Hurban. And uh, some people ask, it's very difficult to feel pain on the Shabbat. Actually, on Shabbos, we had guests and we had ladies, young ladies from our program, our students, because I'm running an organization called Rage in New York. Russian American Jewish experience. Some of our students uh, came to me. They currently in uh, seminaries, and they said, speaking about actually Ukrainian war, and Ukrainian conflict, and people dying there. And I said, you know, we opened an ulpan for the refugees who came here because many of them waiting for Hebrew ulpan, and many ulpanim are full, and they're waiting for weeks and months. And we wanted to help them. We opened Zoom ulpan. And we have actually have 80 plus registrations. We started class after class. And when I welcomed one of the classes, I was speaking to students and asked them to introduce themselves. And one lady I saw on Zoom, she's lying in bed. And she said, I'm in Natanya and I'm, my name is Tatiana and I'm wounded. And I said, you're wounded? Like what happened? And she said, forget about me, my entire family was killed. And like I felt her pain, and, and there were other people, another person introduced himself from a city of Mariupol. I said, Mariupol, this is a, you know, city was leveled, destroyed completely. And I said, I hope you got out with your family before, you know, this events. He said, no, we went through hell. We, we, we saw everything. I was writing a diary not to forget what, I, what I've seen. And asked, maybe you want to share with me because I often do interviews on American Russian TV. He said, now I'm scared because my family is still there. So as I was sharing these um, impressions, the ladies uh, who actually, their families from Vinitsa, Ukraine. And they said, it's so difficult for us in America or us in Israel to feel what's going on somewhere in Ukraine. And uh, it's, it's, diff it's difficult to feel because it's far, you know, you don't hear, maybe it's not on the news, maybe not following the news. If it's difficult to feel the pain of something that's happening now in Ukraine, something that happened thousands of years ago, how much more difficult it is to feel. So therefore, maybe my first thought 
that I shared with them and I want to share with you is that not feeling the pain, maybe that's the reason to cry. If you don't feel the pain, you're like you don't really know, like why are we crying today? That is a great reason actually to cry. I'm crying because I don't know why I'm supposed to cry to Shabbat. Actually, I think Rabbi Nachman said that the Tavara Hishalem Zeleb Nishbar, no? Correct? So if a person feels that his heart is broken and his heart is in pain, oh, this is Tavara Hishalem. So on the contrary, not broken heart on Tisha B'Av, not feeling the pain on Tisha B'Av, or not feeling the pain about other people being wounded or killed, maybe that's the reason to feel the pain. Of course, on the surface, we can say that Tisha B'Av is a tragic event in our history that repeated itself again and again, and that's why we suffered all these tragedies of our history, all the inquisitions, all the pogroms, all the holocausts, all personal tragedies of our lives. All this is the result, as our rabbis teach us, of this tragic event. And therefore, we're crying about all of it. And still at the same time, I remember the words of Hazal. And I really wanted us to focus on these words, that when the Meraglin came and reported, that's a dangerous land, Eretz Ochelet Yoshveh, and people started crying. So Hazal teaches very interesting. You're crying for no reason. You know, the continuation, people can help me. And what's, what's the punishment? What's the result? Because you're crying for no reason. What's the result? So Hazal said, or English translation is, I will give you the reason to cry. So Rav Dessler, Miktav Meliyahu, writes a question that I'm sure all of you, all of us have. Hashem is merciful. So because people cried 3,000 years ago, three and a half thousand years ago, for no reason, so all the generations have now to have a reason to cry. So Hashem is taking revenge the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, all the generations, all the generations are going to be punished because of the mistakes of our fathers. This is how Hashem runs the world. Anybody can help us to understand really what Hazel meant? What do you think what Hazel meant? Now will be so, what's the explanation of that? Let's think together. I think it's much better instead of lectures to have a dialogue, correct? Let's have a dialogue. So, what do you think is the explanation? Because you, why it will be? And let's make this answer relevant, first of all, for, for, for you, for me, for us. How would you explain? I'll give, yes, please. Maybe if we stop crying and are grateful for what we, we can stop crying and be thankful for what we have, we can change the Vedaya. This is actually, and your name is? Esther. Esther, I also want to know my audience, as I said. One rabbi said in America, he said, first you need to learn your students, only then you can teach. So Esther said something that actually Svasemis said. He said that 
when the now Parsha this week, well, yesterday we, we heard the words, we seen as Hashem Oison, Hashem hated us. And Rasha says, really Hashem loved them. They, the perception was of hatred because they had the hatred. But this hatred, Svasana said, had the power to fetch Shamayim. And instead of entering Eretz's role, they actually ended up in desert. And as they said, you brought us here to die. They died because it said so. He says, Svasame says, but if they would appreciate that Hashem is giving them the land, as you said, they would enter. So the whole purpose of Galut is to appreciate goodness of Hashem, what Hashem is giving us, even in the bitter and difficult Golos. Even when it's hard to see the good, sometimes difficult people also to see something good about them. Difficult situations, mm -hmm. appreciate what is good. In other words, if, if we train ourselves, says Hashemus, to appreciate Hashem and His goodness, even in this Golas, that will, will bring the Gul. So this is your answer. And your answer? No? Uh, sorry, yeah? Yeah, but okay, okay, okay. They didn't want it, right? They didn't want. It. Of course, they didn't want it for whatever reason. Uh, the Meraglim had no, a reason, and and people had a reason. They had fears or whatever. It's a lack of emuna. Yeah, but why? Yes. Any other? Anybody else wants to contribute to the dialogue? I remember. Yes, please. It's such a beautiful answer. That is really such a beautiful answer. For many years, I was a principal of high school in Brooklyn for Russian kids, a school called Sinai Academy. And uh, many students came actually from Israel. They were Russian-Israeli students. And when I welcomed that, I said, oh, you came to Galut. Where are you from? From Batya. Where are you from? Tel Aviv. Where are you from? Haifa. And I usually asked, okay, tell me something. Did you ever go to Hebron? No. Did you visit Kotel? No. Did you ever visit Yerushalayim? No. How many years are you here? 30. 20. You, have, you can live in Israel for 20, 30 years. And never come to Yerushalayim. And never come to Kotel. And then I asked a question. Did you ever go to Beit Knesset? No. I said, wow. So I welcome you to Galut. And you know, in Hebrew, the word Galut is connected to the word Legalot. What Legalot means? So we come, Legalot, Legalot. The bright light of Yerushalayim was so powerful. You didn't see it and you didn't appreciate it, Esther said. And now you're going to end up in New York celebrating Pesach and saying, Lishana Babi Rushalayim, nostalgically dreaming about Yerushalayim. So you're going to rediscover your Jewish roots and your desire to come back. You wish you would be in Yerushalayim. You wish you would come to Kondo. So sometimes you need to take distance, right, to appreciate. Sometimes you need to lose 
something that you don't appreciate to feel the pain and then appreciate the loss and then pray for it and then hopefully regain it one day. So this is Mara. Yes. Please. Kind of reminding me, you know, the way the response, you know, you think you're, you're crying now, you know, you think it's coming up. If they're going to care, they'll care like their kid, you know? The kid is crying, you know, having a tantrum, you know, over nothing. And you're like, you're crying? Oh, you didn't even tell me to cry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about the fact that this is the nation that left Mitzrayim. They saw so many unbelievable miracles, and they, it was like so easy for them. In theory, to have them or not, because they saw God like literally save them with the most incredible miracles. And now, you know, they're doubting his ability or his interest in fulfilling his promise to what he promised them when he went to Israel. So he's basically telling them, You think, you know, you don't have a Muna, you know, you're a nation that saw all of this. I'm going to show you how hard it is to have a Muna. And then he throws them into you know, this mess. Then you know, and then we're we're suffering all these years and struggling with the Amuna, you know, it's the kind of thing all right, but that's exactly what Esther said. I, I said I think that appreciating Hashem and searching for Amun and the difficult times that in a way may be yeah. an answer. So beautiful, beautiful as well. So tell the truth. I'm I'm gonna share with you Rav uh answer, Victor Leo answers, but it somehow resonated something that I learned when I was a teenager. And I grew up in Moscow. And to tell the truth, um, I was supposed to be completely and totally lost to Yiddishkeit, totally. Mm -hmm. Because already my great-grandmother graduated and she was a singer from Kiev Conservatory. She was already, we, we were disconnected five generations. If I'm gonna tell you something, again, confidentially on Zoom also, mm -hmm. I personally never heard about Shabbos. I never heard Shabbos existed. I never heard about Yom Kippur. I never heard about Rosh Hashanah. I even didn't, did not imagine, didn't know that there is some such a thing as Jewish religion. Did you know about Jewish religion when you grow up? It was more of a, I didn't really know it was a religion. It was like, like this Jewish pride for Jewish. I'm like, well, what does that mean? I don't right, know. Right, right, well, right. And you, then we moved to Germany and I had all these German friends and my family would get upset with me for kind of assimilating. I'm like, but. What is that? Yeah. Let's say for me, religion was a church mm -hmm. and I knew it's not for me. But I didn't know that there is a show. Did you know there is a show? No. I didn't know there is a show. Okay, so we, we're talking about a complete and total kind of assimilation. But I have to give credit to my mother, that when I was three years old, she said, you are a Jew. That's what, all my Jewish education. If anybody will ask me, what is your nationality? I didn't know what nationality means. You should proudly answer, I am a Jew. And she asked neighbors to come and say, what is your nationality? And I needed to answer, I'm a Jew. But the truth is, I really knew absolutely nothing, totally, like nothing about it. So I'll maybe share a few words about my journey, but well before I knew anything about Judaism, um, I somehow picked up a book, kind of a practical psychology of a famous in Russia at the time, Vladimir Levy. Yes, he was a Jewish psychologist in Russia. And the book was called the art of being yourself. And the book began uh, with an interesting advice. Maybe it makes sense for you to hear. And he said, you know what, if you want to be emotionally healthy, strong person to move forward, uh, not to fall into depression, <laughs> take a simple exercise. And it was like the beginning of the book. <laughs> like, take an exercise, take two pieces of paper, and then one piece of paper, right? 
What are your values? What is really important for you? You may write uh, my family, my motherland. Well, that time Soviet Union, Communist Party, <laughs> forget about it, right? Our other things, what is important for you? So make, make the declaration of your values and their importance. Put like one to 10 and then forget about it. You take another piece of paper and ask yourself, what made me upset? What did I cry about? And then just be honest with yourself. Uh, someone hurt my feelings. I lost some money. Uh, what else? What, what made me cry? And he said, then compare the two. And if you see that you make a statement about uh, the importance of Israel, or Jewish people, or Torah, or learning Torah, whatever the statements we make, and say that is important. And then we say, we cry about this little nothing. Then in a way we're repeating what Rav Dessler said. This is called, according to not Rav Dessler only, not only Hazal, but according to Vladimir Levy in his book, he said, <laughs> that is something that is a symptom of crying for nothing. And he said, if you're crying for nothing, it means that there is a disconnect between your mind and your heart. You make a declaration that is important, but your heart feels something completely totally different. And therefore, there is a conflict. You know that the Kotz Karebi said that the greatest distance in the universe, anybody knows? Between your mind and your heart. And actually, Tisha B'Av probably is the day where we have to reconnect. But making a statement, this is important. And not crying about something is important. But crying about something which is not important means that we have wrong priorities. In our heart, there are other things that are really important. We live for other things. And this is just a statement. And he said, that is a foundation that triggers a situation that triggers an inner conflict and a depression. And so basically what you need to do, you need to emotionally live your values. So learn how to be yourself. That is the art of being yourself. That's the whole book was the art of being yourself. So in a way, when I saw what Rav Dessler writes, I said, wow, that's exactly what somehow this Jewish psychologist uh, offered, which means he said, when you cry about something that is nothing, which is not really important, it is a testimony, testimony that in your heart, this Gdusha, this Eretz Israel, this Imuna, whatever you say, whatever you think, it is your thinking, but it's not your feelings. And there is a disconnect, exactly what Rav Dessler says. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it is not a punishment. Do you think that Hashem is cruel and he's punishing you with, right? Punishment for the road. I'm going to punish you for the road. No. Hashem is giving us a remedy in every generation to reconnect back to who we are, to reconnect to our hearts, to reconnect to what we believe in, to reconnect, to live our dreams. Actually, to reconnect to being ourselves. And the only way to reconnect in a way is to learn to cry about something that is really important, something that unites us. So he writes that 
in a way, it's much easier to cry together than to celebrate together. Because when someone celebrates something, there may be jealousy. Maybe why him and not me? But when we cry for each other, we feel the pain of each other, then the time comes when we can also, on Simchat Torah, Simchat Torah, we can celebrate together. Because the pain of my nation also becomes the, later on, when it turns around, the celebration of my nation. I heard that the name of uh, Agro, that he said that the hardest mitzvah, did you hear this? The hardest mitzvah of all the mitzvahs of the Torah is V'samachta B'chagecha. Did you hear this? V'samachta B'chagecha. Why V'samachta B'chagecha is the hardest mitzvah? Actually, I heard recently Hasidim made it up as a joke because he didn't know how to be. He was too serious. That's, I think. But I personally think that is definitely very, very difficult um, mitzvah because I think that people sometimes come on to Shabbat after Shul and they question, um, I don't feel the pain. I don't know what to cry. Even maybe more so, you come and say, Torah, and you're asking yourself, well, I don't feel like happy. Like, how do you choose happiness, right? How do you make yourself happy? So Rabdesla writes, those who learn how to feel the pain later on can celebrate simchash mamash, not simchash al-chinam, because those that cry for nothing also will be happy for nothing. But those who cry for good reason will also be happy for true and good reason. So, so therefore, the preparation for Simcha's Torah begins now. And that reminds me, I heard from Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobs. He said about the Lubavitcher Rebbe that a Holocaust survivor came to him to complain and say, you know, he says, I cannot cry and I cannot laugh. Sometimes, by the way, people are now, to a certain degree, all of us are desensitized. All of us are now, different degrees. So, but when the Rebbe heard, he said, you know what? Learn how to cry again. And then we will also be able to laugh and to celebrate and to be happy. So a feeling of pain, a feeling of happiness are very much connected. So in a way we are in a, in a sad day of Tisha B'Av, feeling the pain and clarifying for ourselves, why should we cry? And the first reason, if we don't know why we cry, right? then it's definitely there is a good reason to cry. But even if we'll clarify, it is in a way preparation for Simcha's Torah, because we begin our journey to our personal joy of being part of the Jewish people, pride to be a Jew. As you said, and your name is? Natalia. Natalia, as Natalia said. Okay, but your mother taught from the very, yes, from a childhood to be proud to be a Jew. So how to celebrate? I think it begins here as well. So when we... Ask ourselves why should we cry? Um, I want to share a personal experience that happened just a few days ago. An Israeli friend came to me and he said, You know, I want to ask you, you know, if you ask me for a meeting, I didn't understand what was the purpose of the meeting. He said it's pretty secretive. And he asked me that, you know, he's about to start a business. This business is a sword, and what he does is sodi. I said, oh, this is like in Kabbalah. Sod Shabbat You know what Sod sword is? Mm -hmm. You know what Sod The very fact that there is a sword is also a sword. 
And he told me previously that he was working for one Jewish organization, then he moved to business intelligence. And I thought that business intelligence means some you know, high-tech business intelligence program. And now he's speaking to, my, to me about you know, secret work that he does and he wants to share with me. I said, well, this is like in cybersecurity. And one of the principles of cybersecurity is that you're not only hiding information, you're even hiding the fact that you're hiding information. What does it mean? It, let's say you hide money in the safe. Okay, if the safe is good, you think your money is safe. But much better tactic is even to hide the fact that there is a safe. So no one knows there is a safe, but there is a safe. So search so I said, okay, tell me, what do you do? And how can, how can I help you? He said, you know, there is a service that I started, a business, and maybe you need it. Maybe you know people who need it. I hope no one here needs this business. And he says, I'm, uh, I opened um, a business with a person who was from a, a military intelligence unit. And he has um, a hacking experience, how to hack into the enemy's you know, accounts and you know, sabotage their efforts. And what I do is we do, uh, he called it reputation management. Do you know reputation management? <laughs> reputation management. I said, what is that? Well, some people need the boost on their reputation, but some people are running political campaigns. And sometimes they have Pierrot and Mosdot Liumim. You know Mosdot Liumim means? No? And they need to win the elections. And sometimes the best way is not to boost your reputation, but rather to hurt other person's reputation. And here we are offering a service. We know how to do it. We know how to do it anonymously. We create anonymous uh, accounts on social media. We share this information. And no one ever will know where it comes from. I said to myself, are you talking to me about, about this before Tisha B'Av? Uh, did you hear about Tisha B'Av? Do you know why we cried Tisha B'Av? That's exactly what he asked me. Do you know why we cried Tisha B'Av? Do you know what Lashon Arayis? Do you know what it means, do you know what it means to spy on the friend, to find out his secrets and then reveal the secrets to hurt this person? Did you hear a curse? Do you know the curse? Arur, make, reego, besete. Exactly what you said. Arur, make, reego, besete. What does it mean, arur, make, reego, besete? It means that the person doesn't even know that he was hurt, someone just said something. And he never will know who hurt him because of these accounts. I said, do you know what you're doing? And do you know that a human being, a person is defined, not only by what he does, but even more so by what he doesn't do. What are your red lines? Are you fighting against the Iranian nuclear reactor? Or against Vladimir Putin? Or against BDS? No, in America, we said you cannot do it because in America, this is very, you know, punishment. Here in Israel, between brothers and sisters, I said, can you imagine, like, do you, do you understand? Do you know? I said, the, the real thing that you need to do is you need to manage your own reputation. Like, what, what about managing your own reputation? How, how can you do this? But when he said this, I said to him, you know, I have to tell you, when I was already maybe like 18 years old, and I started learning Torah a little bit. And there were two yeshiva students that came to Moscow. 
and was one of the first lessons Torah I ever heard. Like I'm sharing with you something, maybe like the first topic of Torah I ever heard. We were sitting in the kitchen, right here was my Moscow refrigerator. We were sitting together and uh, was another friend of mine, and two yeshiva boys uh, spoke English. And one of them says, you know, now is a Parshas B'Shalach, Parshas Shlachter. And he says, the first Rashi asks a question. Why Parashat Meraglim, the story of the spies, Meraglim, follows the story of Miriam? Anybody can help me? Because what, sh- what happened? Because she lakta aliske diba, because she was punished. They saw how she was punished and they did not learn the lesson. By the way, it means anything we see in the world, Ukrainian conflict or the attack right now on us, whatever we see is really a lesson for us to learn. So, I remember how these people asked the question. This one of the yeshiva students asked the wonderful question, and he said, "Like what? What she was supposed to learn? I'm sure you heard this question, correct? What she was supposed to learn?" Miriam said something about a person who had feelings, Moshe Rabbeinu, and they did not say anything about any human being. They just spoke about the land, and they said that Eretz Ochelet Yoshvia. So how is it we're supposed to learn that we're not allowed to say it? Good question. What do you say? Huh? My first question in Torah, actually. That was my first lesson in Torah, in a way. said, so you reminded me, like, yeah, because you want to spy. I'm, let's talk about spies. You want to speak about spies? Let's talk about spying. Here's the spying. So anyone can tell me why they were supposed to learn something. And what did really, really Russia mean? Natalia. Well... When you say something bad, it doesn't matter if a person or a piece of land, it creates a negative reality and has consequences. First of all, Natalia is a genius. Natalia is wonderful. Natalia, we want to listen. Natalia, don't. Okay, let's let's talk. That are you live in Israel now? Uh, I am here for now. I'm You're here for now. I'm here also for now. Okay, because there's a lot to do now. I'm talking about there are a lot of many many people here. That tens of thousands of Jews came. There's a lot to do. And, you know, we need to be positive to talk in a positive way, correct? To create positive realities. Anyway, uh, so the first lesson that I heard from them was a wonderful lesson that really uh, will inspire us to appreciate where we are right now. So the Yeshiva boy said the following. He said, you know, for us Jews, the land of Israel, Eretz Israel, is not a thing. If I will say about this mekarer, um, this refrigerator. This refrigerator is no good. I'm not gonna hurt anybody's feelings. But that's because it's mekarer. But to say about the land of Israel for us, we, we have Avat Eretz Israel, we have Avat Torah, we have Avat Amisah. For us, land of Israel has neshama. So lesson number one, why I learned this lesson in, back in Moscow, came to Eretz Israel, then went to teach in America, but I'm always connected to Israel. Now, later on, already in America, I opened Maral. And Maral answers this question. Who knows Maral? What Maral says on that? 
And Maral says, actually what Natalia said, Natalia was Mechavan to Maral, not what you said Maral says. Maral says, you know, it's very strange because usually, as we already agreed, Lashon Ara is something that we say about something Baseter, right? According to Mara, Lashon Ara is defined by this curse as Arur Make Ra'ehu Baseter. And Maral continues, it says, when I use my words, when I can also use my hand, this is not exclusive power of Lashonara. To say Lashonara in the open is maybe an embarrassment. There are many, many Isurim person can be over to humiliate a person. But actually, Lashonara, uniquely, according to Maral, there are different opinions is when you say it not in front of the person, but behind his back. So therefore he says, what Miriam did was actually not specifically Diba in terms of Lashon Gara, but what she did, listen to what Maral says. He says, she just commented on the fact. The fact was not good, not bad. It was not Ra. What she said, Moshe Rabbeinu's busy at Mount Sinai. He's not paying enough attention to his family. Well, but Moshe Rabbeinu was busy at Mount Sinai. In itself, wasn't bad. You could say Moshe Rabbeinu has such miserable nefesh. He does such a great thing. It's even self-sacrifice of him and his family. This is what he does. She could praise him for this fact, or she can take exactly the same fact and what? And put him down. So that was more of a judgment that she passed on Moshe Rabbeinu. Therefore, when the spies went and they were searching the land, what did they see? Anybody remembers? What did they see? Anywhere they went, they saw funerals. They could say, wow, Hashem saves us. Wow, no one can, you know, identify us. What a miracle. What Ashgaha Pratid, right? How wonderful it is, they could say. They could see good in this. But they saw this half empty, half full cup, and they said, it's a dangerous land. We're not going to go there. So they did exactly the same thing. In a way, they passed negative judgment. This is what they did. They passed negative. The same way she kind of passed negative judgment. So they passed negative judgment. So Pachad Itzak takes this idea a little further. And he says, you know, positive and negative judgment, it is actually fulfillment of the mitzvah. It is action. Because when Chazal says, can you force me to love? I don't feel like it. So what does it mean? What is actually the commandment of Ahava? Because it's, Hashem cannot force us to shield, but he can command us to do something. What is the commandment? Someone would say, actually, according to Rav Dessler, Half is giving. So give your person, right? Give him, help him. The more you give, the more you fall in love. The more you give your child, the more you love your child and so on. But you, the more you give to your husband, you give to your wife, the more you connect it through giving. So in a way, the is actually actions of hesitant giving. However, Chazal says something else. You know what it means? They say, they say exactly. dan It means you should 
favorably judge your friend, which means that probably because of fears, because of lack of confidence, because of lack of emuna, because of uh, instinct to survive, or because of jungles that we lived in, whatever it is, whatever happens, the first thing is fear. A new person came into the room and uh, maybe joining your staff, the first thing, oh, is he a threat to me? A uh, person comes to class, is this person a threat? Is this is a threat? So in other words, we live in the world, we are very, very careful and we're watching for threats. So the first thing we are in a way focusing on the negative. We're focusing on the negative, we see negative, we say negative, we get into fights, and maybe that is the root of all conflicts, possibility. So what happened then is seeing negativity at Moshe Rabbeinu was supposed to be a lesson for them when they come, actually what David Amalek said, they were supposed to see the good, the beauty in Eretz Yisrael and everything that happens. But instead, what happened? Instead, they saw negative, they gave negative report. This negativity created catastrophic events that we basically continue on until today. Because to the degree we are searching and seeking negativity, to this degree, we create this negativity. We see what we want to see on one hand, but then when we say it, when we reveal it, and we hurt with this, this is create the essence of Lashon Arayim, destruction of our body. So I said to myself, and I said to this person, I said, you know, there's one lesson for me in you for Shabbat that I want to share with you right away, is what I learned from you. Like, me call me lambda is right? So instead of me telling you, please tell me what we can learn on Tishabia from this person who wants to make a company spying on other people to hurt their reputations and to reveal it. What can we learn from him? What can we learn from him? Uh-huh. I remember walking on my, live in Brooklyn, on this 22nd street. I just once I remember, walked on my street from my home and I'm walking on the, on the, you know, on my street and I see a car and another car parked right near it. And I see the guy is breaking into the car. And I just looked at this guy and I said, what are you doing? And the guy was about to break in. He saw me, he just jumped into his car and drove away with the second. Another second, he would already be in, in, in this car. And I said to myself, what do I learn from him? What do I learn from him? What good I can learn from this thief? We can learn from anybody. If he is thief, does his job so well and so fast, so much more, we need to do our mitzvot especially baking matzahs, right? And other things, if they do this bit, how much more skills and enthusiasm we need to have when we do our mitzvot? Lesson number one, but speaking, you know, I'll give you a hint. So what do we need to do? But in order for us to enhance these people's reputations, what do we need to do? I think we should ask them, what is your motivation? What is your hope? 
Exactly. That's a beautiful question. That's I asked him. I, I asked him that question. I said, well, exactly, what are you doing? Are you fighting for Israel or, or, or are you creating in a, in a fight between us, between brothers? Exactly. But my question is, what can we, I, what I can do today for myself, learning from this meeting that I had on Wednesday? What can I do? Look what he does. He's spying and catching people on doing something bad. Yes, this is Moscovitz, right? Listen, say, explain. Bravo, bravo. Okay, okay, we're bravo. Yes, 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 yes. The first and most important lesson in educating your children, raising your children instead of constantly criticizing them and saying, you did this wrong and did this wrong. And kids usually say, oh, you see me, you pay attention, I do something wrong. So instead of doing that, what should you do? Catch them doing something good and do what? And say it. See and say it. Then praise, give them, it's sincere praise. Not, it's, a, it's about the facts, about an accomplishment. So when you're gonna catch people on doing something good, they want your attention. They're gonna do more good. And if you're running a school to catch your teachers doing something good, if you're running your family, if you're running your business and you want to enhance the world, start paying attention when people do something good. And I would even maybe with your permission, say a little bit more because it says, I believe that's what Natalia actually meant. It says when Hashem creates the world, it says, Hashem kitov. and again, Hashem kitov. what does it mean? What does it mean? And Hashem saw and it was good. Anybody? What does it mean? What does it mean? Hashem saw and it was good. What does it mean? So Hashem gives himself a grade. Oh, I am building this logo for the world, right? And okay, first day, second day, third day, fourth day, everything I do is good. I'm giving myself 80. Right? 100 is very good, correct? <laughs> so what are we doing? Uh, Hashem is giving himself a grade, stopping the creation, and giving himself a grade, stopping the creation, giving himself a grade. Look at the good. Look at the good. Look at the good. So I heard, I heard, just telling you, that Hashem taught us an amazing lesson. When you see, and you see with love, you love life, you love Hashem, you love people, you love seeing good, and your mother, and you have a child, and you want to see good in this child, and you want to see hidden talent, and you want to see something good that he's doing, or some potential that he has. And the more you see, and the more you seek, and the more you search, the more you reveal to you and him and say, oh, look what you've done, look what you did. And then you believe in the person, believe in your child, and the child begins to believe in himself. And then it becomes self-fulfilling prophecy. So, but this concept, concept in a way, Natalia, is actually what you said. Hashem taught us a lesson. When Hashem sees good, Vayar Hashem, and it becomes good because he sees good. When we see good, we think that our eyes are just 
recipient of the light, right? We just receive the light. But really, we are created in the image of Hashem. And Hashem created the world, the power of speech. But more than that, he said, Hashem, Hashem so good. And Hashem said, this is good in his Torah. And that became good. So when we see good, and we need to make an effort to see good, it's very simple and easy to see good and good people. Sometimes we need to give a benefit of the doubt to people. Sometimes we need to practice Ahava by doing what? By favorable judgment. And see, okay, even though this person did this, but look at this good quality, look at that good quality. And that actually is extremely, is not just by perception. It is a perception that creates reality. If I'm able to be Malamad school to my student or my children, it creates a connection. It elevates them, it inspires them. This is what practice of the mitzvah after the Rechakamach is. So just a story, uh, simple, simple story to maybe summarize and give you one exercise for today, I would say. On one hand, why should we cry? But on the other hand, why should we, we take a lesson and instead of crying, celebrate one day? So I remember myself being uh, in, in Moscow Telecommunication, Telecommunication Institute, a student, and at certain certain point, uh, we applied to immigrate to Israel, and obviously I was expelled from college. But at that time, I already had few Jewish friends, and I did not reveal them that I'm the enemy of the state because to say I'm immigrating to Israel was like a treason. So it was like hiding. And I knew that that was the last day I am in college. And I said to one friend whose name was Denise Sasha, I said, Sasha, would you come to me and just be with me, you know, come to my home? And I invited him to come, it was Friday morning. And we together came, we were sitting together, like, you know, drinking tea. And I said to him, Sasha, I want to tell you that it's the last time you see me because I really was expelled from college. You're not going to see me. I hope one day to immigrate to Israel. And he suddenly looked at me and said, you really want to go to Israel? I said, yes. Are you out of your mind? Israel is a dangerous place to go. Why don't you go to America? If you're already living Soviet Union, like, why don't you go to America? And I was so hurt by this question because in our circles of people who fell in love with Israel, someone who was going to America was a traitor. And we put this person in hell and we didn't speak to them. We said, like, we don't want to talk to you. And um, I said to him, Sasha, you are just 18 years old man. You are an old man, I said to him. You have no ideals. You're not in love with Israel. I don't know what I can even talk to you about. The only thing I can do, I can take you to the door. Yeah. And I said, okay, let me take you to the door. And I got up to take him to the door. But my mother knew Sasha. And she looked at him and she saw something good. Something that I didn't see. I got upset. I got angry. No good. My mistake. But my mother, Leishon, corrected me. She looked at him and she saw something good in him. And she said, Sasha, you know what? Do you know what Friday night we do? He said, no. Did you ever hear about Shabbat? No. 
well, like we didn't know before. So she said, you know, Friday night, we sit together with friends. We speak about Torah, we sing songs, you know, we celebrate Shabbos. Why don't you come to us? And I said, who she's talking to? He doesn't even want to go to Israel. Forget about Shabbos. Like, he's so disconnected from anything Jewish. I said to myself, because I judged him wrongly in my heart. But my mother gave him the benefit of the doubt. And she said, you know what? Come. He left without saying a word. And I was sure, again, because I, I made wrong assumption. I was sure that he's never going to come back. Friday night, we're sitting with friends, knock on the door, Sasha is here, he joins us. Next Friday night, again, knock on the door, he joins us again and again. And he begins to learn Hebrew and Torah, then he becomes a Torah teacher, then he becomes one of the leaders of refusing movements. Then he goes to Eretz and together with me, he learned the Yeshiva of Eretz Rabbi Zrahi is a wonderful yeshiva. Then he became a rabbi in Moscow yeshiva. Then he became a Rosh Koyle in Beitar Elite. <laughs> and I see Sasha today recently went to the wedding of his daughter. What a wedding. And I said to myself, all this amazing family that I see today and his children and his grandchildren, it's only because my mother was able at certain point to see good in Sasha that I saw him as a traitor. By the way, the paradox, when we were in a terrace, my Rosh Hashiva offered me to go to America to teach Russian Jews. And for the last almost 40 years, I ended up in America. <laughs> what a paradox and a lesson for me. Huh? And he actually lives in the throne and builds his family, teaches other people. And I said to myself, if we would make an effort and train our minds when someone comes to us, uh, instead of judging immediately, which is natural instinct, right? Defense mechanism. Instead of that, we would train ourselves to do what? To search and seek good in other people. See good and say good. And therefore, if you ever go to Poland, there is a place, if I'm not mistaken, Luzhansk, Luzhansk, and there is a Rabbi Noam Elimelech from Luzhansk. I, I took my students to this place. When we go to Poland, we see Holocaust sites. We go to this place, and we together say the words that he put on his grave. Do you know the words? Anyone can help me with these words? Do you know the words? There is a special tefillah of Rabbi uh, Elimelech that he prayed for that we should see only good in each other. We should see only good and only good in each other. We should never look and search and spy on each other and not to be meraglim. Now a new, new concept in understanding what does it mean to be meragel, right? Meragel to be something, to see something bad? No. But at least the same effort, maybe even greater effort, to see something good in other people, reveal it, to connect with them, build relationship with them, build unity of our families, of our communities and Clovis Road. All the best to you. Mm -hmm. Natalia has a question. Yes, Natalia. Sure. And Natalia has two questions, but you have, we have a break. Yes, all the best to you once again. Um, wouldn't it the word from two sides that on the one hand, your friends might have been over shocked by your words like oh you've spent so much for Israel that you were willing to just 
throw it, kick him out, right. And your mom, on the other hand... I think my mom, my mom corrected me. My mom corrected me. Yes, my mom corrected me. Right, but wasn't it like, almost like... Um, Bad cup and good cup. Kind of, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I, I, the only thing I know the result. Yeah. And the second question is, with trying to always see the good, can it be dangerous sometimes, though? Yeah, like, definitely. Yeah. Can it be dangerous only to see good? Interesting. Interesting question. I personally trust people and I uh, expect people to live up to my trust and my expectations and I am ready to be tricked. I'm ready to be tricked. But if anything, seeing bad has a tremendous value. What is the value of seeing bad? We need to, to know what to improve. So that's why we have two eyes. With one to see good in others, and with another one to see something to prove with ourselves. Correct? See, I think Bauchar Rebus also said that. Yes? I was going to say your story at the end reminded me of grabbing up the which is, which is, which is if you, the first paragraph inside, if you find one good point in a person, it brings them to the face of the truth, giving help with the back. So, like, bring it back. Correct. It, it was an illustration. Yes. Yes. And, and I have to say, it works wonders miraculously yes agreed yes please no 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 bad questions please right correct well uh i didn't say his name i didn't say his name i didn't say anything about him i hope it's uh what i was told that there are many businesses like this unfortunately and if to say anything is that what we're crying about here i'm talking about our situation today i will quote someone rab uh, doron perez they know the name rab doron perez who is so rab doron perez says something interesting it will should be an answer to you he said look at the gemora and the gemora says that the generation of Kurban, they learned torah and they did melut hasadim but the Hurban was because of Sinat Hinam. How can it be that people do Gmelut Hasadim and have baseless hatred? The question, how can it be? No, two contradictory things. So he said amazing things. I'm sure that there is a great Makor for that. So he said, it is because like for me, it's like Hasida. Do you know a bird called Hasida in Torah? Is it kosher? No, no. why it's not kosher? because that does chesed with their own kind. So he said that people at the time of the destruction were divided into sectors and parties. And they were very kind to their own kinds, but they were spying on each other and they were hurting each other. They were fighting with each other and they were even killing each other while Romans surrounded Yerushalayim. There were different fractions within the Jewish people were fighting with each other at very time. So for me, when this person came to me, again, it's it's not something like he's the only one. Unfortunately, there are many you hits all the time on the news. This revealed about this member of Knesset and this revealed about that person and this, how, how this is happening. Because obviously there is a lot of informational wars are happening within us today. So what we can do to improve it is to learn to be kind and look for good in other people, even those who disagree with us, even those 
on the right, on the left, or whatever it is, to learn how to love different Jews, not just like us. <laughs>